Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Hey everyone, I'm Greg. I'm Ash. We're Pursuit of the Paranormal, which you'll probably know because you're listening to our podcast. But there are several ways that you could support the show. Um, you can visit our merchandise store where we've got loads of clothing and other bits and bobs there for you. And we also have launched our Buy Me A Coffee campaign. Tell me a little bit more about that, Ash. Yeah, so you can support the show on with a one-off donation. Or you can also join our membership scheme, which gives you different benefits, including shout-outs on the show, discount on the merchandise store, early access to episodes, bonus episodes, all of these different levels of membership. It just helps us carry on doing what we're doing. So you can visit all these places and more at our linktree.com forward slash Pursuit of the Paranormal. Hey Ash, how's it going today? Hey, not too bad, Greg. Not too bad. How are you doing? Nearly Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, all good. All good. Just waiting for lockdown to hit the UK. Got my yep. booster jab. Um, lockdown yeah. part 12.2 or something yeah. at this point. And we were promised by Boris that we wouldn't go backwards. We'd... That was it. So yeah, looking forward to that. Happy Christmas to everybody who's in... Uh, if this goes out when when we're in lockdown, happy lockdown. Yeah. So, so today's episode, we are talking to a gentleman by the name of Sanjay, um, coming from Northern Illinois, and he's a Bigfoot hunter. Cool. And hoping to see if there's any connection between Bigfoot, UFOs, paranormal, like we've covered off in previous episodes. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see. So have a listen, guys, uh, and let us know your thoughts as always. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you. I understand you're, you're a Bigfoot hunter. I, I wouldn't say hunter. I'm certainly, okay. uh, in an, I would call myself more of an investigator. Um, the running joke uh, among my colleagues in the Bigfoot world is that I don't have to go looking for Bigfoot um he usually comes looking for me <laughs> oh wow okay so do you want to take us back to the start of uh, sort of how you you got into bigfoot oh boy that that would take about three episodes um, <laughs> are you sure you want to well no let me let me uh condense it i had a series of encounters with uh, what I believe to have been a Bigfoot or several Bigfoot type creatures while I was growing up as a small boy in South Dakota. Uh, I did not know at the time, but uh, having been born in the Himalayas in northern India, my parents had had uh, stories of the Yeti and would oftentimes after a snowfall find tracks going across the field near their house and no one thought twice of it they just said oh it's the yeti and went about their business uh didn't blink and uh, my father told me of a camping trip in the upper foothills with some of his students he was a teacher 
And they woke up the next morning and came out of their tents and there were tracks wandering in and out of the tents and clearly it had come through the night before. And again, no one really blinked. It was just sort of, yeah, okay, it's a Yeti. And off they went. <laughs> so those experiences when I was quite young and being very up close and personal uh, probably you know, impelled me to want to look into this further and to find out more about it. I had um, the very good fortune, well, I wouldn't say very good fortune. It, later in life, I was uh, had a house in Michigan, which is uh, quite near here, and would go there on weekends and such, and had some experiences there, which I could not explain. And started to realize that, you know, maybe this thing is a little bit more common than I thought. And so in 2007, I had, again, had the very good fortune to meet a wonderful colleague in the Bigfoot world. And we are still very good friends. Uh, his name is Bob Daigle, and he lives outside Detroit, Michigan. He and I started doing some investigation together and almost immediately uh had quite a few hair raising experiences uh, with Bigfoot. In fact, on our second ever investigation together, uh, we had a face-to-face -face encounter with a nine foot Bigfoot, wow. probably at a distance of 20 yards. Uh, that remains to this day, the, the most terrifying experience of my life uh, because it was blocking the path back to the car park and quite honestly, we did not know how we were going to get out of there. And uh, as it happened, it sort of stepped aside and let us come past. But then it followed us to the car park and started throwing rocks at us. Uh, so we left. And uh, it just uh, still, again, to this day, one of the most hair-raising experiences uh, of my life. Being that close, obviously, obviously terrifying, like you say, what did it actually look like when you were when you were looking at it the eyes i didn't see so much it was uh the sun was behind it so there was not a lot of detail but it was easily nine feet tall easily 900 pounds absolutely massive absolutely solid uh solid black hair uh it was clearly a male it was clearly a male and uh it was absolutely furious. The expression on its face was of the utmost hatred, revulsion, anger. It did not want us there. And what we realized later in analyzing our notes and recording what our experience, uh, it was quite possible there were actually two of them um, there at that moment. There was one in the brush, even closer to us making loud stomping noises and then when we turned around we saw the one behind us on the trail blocking our way back uh the the interesting thing is uh both bob and i took photographs of it right and i'll never forget standing there shaking like a leaf i could actually hear my heart pounding in my chest and i said to bob i said do you see what i see and he said yes i said is that what i think it is he said yeah i'm pretty sure that's what we think it is and I said, do you think I should take a picture? <laughs> I, mean, I actually remember this 14 years on. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I reached into my pocket and I, you know, it didn't even take my eyes away. And I was, you know, shaking and, sh you know, uh, and I took the picture and then I looked down to put it back in my pocket and it was gone. The camera? No, the, the creature was gone. Oh. Yeah, thank goodness. 
but uh, I, I do remember that experience uh, quite vividly. And uh, since then, I, I've had an, a number of in-person encounters and sightings and uh, collected quite a bit of evidence in the way of uh, my, as my training is as an architect. So I'm a licensed architect. I have my own business here. And so I think my viewpoint is a little bit more technical or, you know, oriented. And I, I've found it fascinating to study the branch assemblies and constructions that we so often find in the forest and what they might mean and what they might indicate. And uh, so that's been my, my main focus uh, since I've started doing this. So with that first encounter, sort of what, what kind of environment was it? Was it quite away from sort of population or? Yes, it was it was in a uh, national forest uh, park, or I think it's a national park. It might have been a state park uh, in um, southeastern Ohio, and Salt Fork State Park. It's a state park, a uh, very large preserve, uh, quite well removed from you know a lot of hustle and bustle, and we were in a on a very narrow trail going through very dense forest after just passing through an open meadow. So it was it was very remote, very secluded. I do at the time recall that I did not have a signal on my mobile. And obviously, you know, technology has improved and then I probably would now, but uh, I would certainly not go back there alone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, some things you just don't wanna, you know, mess with. So the photograph you said you took, do you still have that photo? Yes, it's on my blog. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes, and I could send you the link to it if you'd like. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. So obviously, if you, sh you share that photo about uh, like other Bigfoot investigators and see what they've said about it and that sort of stuff. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, I I've shown it to quite a few people. And uh, the people that uh, there's, it falls into two camps. Uh, everyone says, well, there's, you've definitely photographed something it looks like a large gorilla standing up. And I said, and I'll say to them, there are no gorillas in the state of Ohio, at least not that I'm aware of. <laughs> and I've shown it to people who really aren't into Bigfoot or anything like that. And they're like, why is there a gorilla in the picture? And I'm, that that's the point, you know, it's, you know, there's something standing there and it's uh, not friendly. So you, you said you've had further invest, uh, further investigations where you've seen a creature a bigfoot yes. creature mm -hmm. what could you explain some of those uh, encounters oh sure i'd be happy to uh one of my uh over time i've uh developed different uh shall we say sites or research areas where i've uh visited repeatedly uh to analyze uh branch assemblies constructions nest shelters and so on and so forth and in the course of that time, I've, you know, encountered certain specific creatures who either resided in the area year, year round or who were passing through and I always happened to run into them. One of these is uh, labeled Area D, and this is in Michigan. And again, I have visited there for approximately 14 years. Uh, not on a regular basis, but whenever I can get away, I try to get over there and do some, you know, looking around. Over the, And over the course of time, I've documented branch assemblies and footprints, uh, all of the same foot uh, with a very distinct deformity 
clearly belonging to the same creature. And when you find these year after year, you realize, you know, somewhat something is living here that has made this place their home. I had not uh, actually, I'd had, had glimpses of things, uh, possible sightings uh, up until April 2014. And I again remember this date, I believe it was April 18th. I was at Area D alone. It was quite early and I was coming through, uh, it's on the shores of Lake Michigan. So it's very hilly and uh, very heavy forest and coming through the forest and I was coming up a, a rise and I looked ahead and again, about 20 yards away from me, I saw this heavy dark figure sort of, sort of crouched-ish next to a, a tall stump. And I looked at it and I thought, that can't be what it is, what I'm seeing here. But maybe it is. And I, again, took out my camera and I took several photographs. Uh, this time I took at least three. I, I didn't, you know. Uh, and it, and it, it had, and the impression I had of it was that it was curious about me, but not willing to come closer. And I remember I went to put the camera away in my pack and I looked up and it was gone. And I realized I didn't hear it leave, heard no sound, it just disappeared. And I circled around the, the rise and came up to the stump you know, from the other side and there was no sign of anything there, but I realized whatever it was had probably been easily a foot to 18 inches taller than me. And obviously much heavier, much broader build. Uh, I, the pictures were analyzed by two different persons and quite a lot of facial structure was revealed. And it is looking directly at the camera. Its hair is colored a very deep, rich, brown, black color. And so it reminded me of a sable coat. And so I've called this creature Sable ever since. And uh, I've encountered him quite often upon my returns to Area D. I've brought food for him. And uh, he invariably makes his presence known. I do have some other possible photographs of him that really are not anything else, but uh, that is probably my my first, uh, was my first face-to-face -face encounter with him. You say him, do you get the impression that it's more of a male type figure or? I, I really do. And I, and, and again, that's, that's a little bit subjective, of course, from my end. Uh, I, there's no ever evidence of female genitalia. You know, he does not have large breasts. Um, I've certainly not seen any other indications that he would be male. But in my mind, what what I've observed and my my impression of him is that he is a, an adult male or a young adult male. So you talked about doing a lot of research into like the structures and that side of Bigfoot, which is quite a common trait amongst like Bigfoot investigations and Bigfoot stories. What have you found with these structures, like any meaning to them and what they, what they are used for? Yeah, uh, actually, as a matter of fact, yes, I have. Uh, one of them is, in fact, again, at Area D, uh, we found a series of structures or assemblies that were aligned with each other across a mile of forest um, on a straight line heading almost due north with other arrangements tied into it and what we discovered was that these assemblies and these 
structures were actually arrows or directional markers oriented to a nest or a shelter site. Uh, some others that we have found, uh, for example, the large upright X, which is typically a forked branch in which, you know, like, so if this is the forked branch, this is the other branch tucking into it, and it forms a large upright X, and you usually find them, you find them everywhere. What I have posited, and this is, is something I've published, is I believe these to be boundary markers, uh, not for us, but for them. And because they're always on the edge of the forest. And so I've posited that coming from the forest into an open area, there's suddenly this X. And maybe that is something that says to the Bigfoot, don't go further. There's people out there. You know, X literally marks the spot. So what about, because uh, you say, as well as obviously the, the stick structures and things like this, you see a lot of rock sort of structures as well mentioned with Bigfoot sightings is that something you found actually no i haven't um i have found a few but but i know there are other researchers who have found a great deal more uh here in the midwest we don't have a lot of rock formations or caves or such uh we do have a lot of uh prehistoric cairns and mounds and uh hills that were have been here for you know millennia but those i would certainly not prescribe those to be Bigfoot related. Those are an ancient people and quite amazingly, no one really knows who they were. So you mentioned that you'd sort of look down or just put something away and you'd look up and the, the creature had gone. Yes. And you, you made reference to the fact on the, the second one, you didn't hear it go anywhere. Where do you think, do you think they just go back into the forest? Or do you think they go somewhere else? Well, that, that's a good question. I And uh, there's two answers. So I'm going to give you the first answer, and then I'm going to give you the second answer and let you uh, decide which one you like better. Uh, the first answer, I would say, if they are a physical creature, they have developed ways of eluding us, which uh, they're able to get across ground quite quickly without making noise. How they do that in a forest with a lot of dead leaves and brush, I don't know, but they, they do seem to be able to get away pretty quickly. Uh, the, the second answer is that it is been you know, discussed in a number of Bigfoot circles, and I've certainly participated in those discussions and had those observations and those experiences where that it's something is not entirely physical about them. Uh, there does seem to be a remarkable ability to step out of this plane of existence into another plane. Uh, what I find fascinating about this, of course, is growing up as a small boy in South Dakota, the Lakota people firmly believe that uh, Chie Tonka, which is their word for Bigfoot, is not a residence of this world. He lives in the spirit world and returns here or comes here intentionally to bring messages to man and so is able to come and go as he pleases. Uh, if we were to, you know, turn that into a spiritual, more spiritual context for Europeans, 
you know, we may prescribe him to be an angel who comes, who does not live here, but is able to visit us and bring a message and then depart. Now, I'm certainly not saying that Bigfoot is an angel, please, you know, I'm, I'm sure you understand that, but uh, it, it's an interesting parallel, uh, at the very least. So, this come along the same lines, because on your blog, you refer to some of the encounters, elder children. Yes. Is that sort of where that sort of name comes from. Just, just explain that sort of name to us. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to. I, When I began researching and investigating, I realized that I personally did not like the name Bigfoot. I, I felt it was almost um, racist. And I, okay. I really did not like it. I did not care for the term Sasquatch because the Sasquatch is a very specific name given by a, a specific people for a specific creature it's not a blanket name and i realized you know what i need to i need to i need to determine what who these people are who these creatures are and give them a name that that i feel they would not find offensive and uh, at one time i was uh, training uh, with a shaman who was lakota and i said you know the lakota word chietanka is so meaningful it means big elder brother and in many indigenous people's belief systems all animals are brothers to us and i said you know could i use the term chietanka and uh, he was very strict about it. he said no you can't it's our word hmm. you know if you want to use it use your word and so elder children is actually derived from the Lakota word, Shietanka. But it's the word that I have started to use and which I feel very comfortable using as a descriptive for these creatures. So I know you've been collecting lots of reports from, is it mainly around the US to collect reports from? Where's the sort of most common place that like, this creature's seen? My understanding is that uh, California, Oregon, Washington State are, are, have the highest number of reports. But uh, if you, I think if you look at uh, any site that collects reports or publishes them, you'll see that the Midwest has its uh, fair share of reports. Uh, Florida has a lot of activity, Eastern Texas, Southern Oklahoma. Uh, there's certainly reports in uh, Southeastern Ohio, uh, West Virginia, Southeastern Pennsylvania. There's there's, you know, anywhere you find a large national forest, you'll find, I think, reports of these creatures. Yes. I think um, people in the UK will have not necessarily got the sense of the kind of openness that you have in some of the state parks. I think some of the state parks that you have in the US are ginormous compared to, to anything we have in the UK. Um, so you... I, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you could hike for for days and not necessarily see anybody. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Yes. Whereas in the UK, you could walk for a couple of days and you're almost from one side of the country to, oh, the, to other. the other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that that's an important distinction for people over this side of the pond is that the, the spaces that we're talking about in the national parks are vast. Oh, they're incredible and even where i live here in northern illinois i my property backs onto a four thousand acre forest preserve only a small portion of which is accessible 
to for use the rest of it is you know for lack of a better word wilderness and who knows what's down there or lurking there i i've investigated there several times and i will tell you this uh, i would never go there alone at night in in no way shape or form i don't blame you <laughs> so do you think that there are different species of elder children or different a, a variety of types or do, do you suggest that there's just sort of one sort of common that's uh, entity? Now, that's a good question and and i'm going to have to say yes i do believe there are different types uh some are much more hostile than others others seem to be want to be left alone more than anything else others are very curious um for example in florida we have what is called the florida skunk ape and it's a very foul smelling very aggressive very uh, forward acting or proactive type creature i've encountered it twice and i do not ever want to encounter it again uh, the the odor alone is absolutely ghastly uh, I, i've never experienced anything as filthy as that uh, in oh, South, southeastern Ohio, they their term for it is the grass man. And again, it is a somewhat aggressive creature. Here in Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, they seem to want to be left alone. There is some curiosity. Where I live, uh, there are, well, there used to be two in the ravine. There's They're both gone now, thank goodness. But one was very, leave me alone, don't touch me, go away. And the other one would come up to the house and look in the window. And uh, which is quite something to experience when you wake up at 2 a.m. and get a glass of water and realize someone's watching you do it. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yes, it, uh, it, 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 it changes your mindset just a little bit. Uh, in California, again, they seem to be, there's a level of curiosity but there's also in some cases a level of playfulness. So it does vary across the country. How that breaks down into species or subspecies, I don't know, we, we don't have enough information, but there certainly seem to be behavioral differences across the country, absolutely. Do you think that's sort of the same for what is seen and witnessed in other countries? Like you've got the Yowie in Australia, you've got, you talked about the Yeti in Nepal and India, that sort of place. Do you think that they are possibly related going back over many years or are they different animals altogether? I Again, I, I don't have enough information to really give you a good answer on that. I know that there are numerous branches or limbs off the uh, family tree, as it were, that we simply don't know anything about. Uh, it's quite, it's absolutely possible that there are other upright bipedal creatures out there of which we know nothing. Um, I, I've read reports of the Yowie and of course, you know, the Yeti, and then there's the Orang Pendek in Indonesia. There's, you know, there's, there's the Yeren in China, the Almas in Siberia. Uh, could they be related? Certainly. Could they not be related? Certainly. We just don't have enough information 
to you know pull all of that together it just seems uh, quite alluring that there's so many similar sightings all over the world in the different places mm-hmm. and when we done like uh, we did an episode on yaoi for our very first episode actually and we noticed that the reports from like australia were very similar to the reports in north america and in asia and obviously it's like going back hundreds of years and mm-hmm. they report and they reporting seeing the same thing. Was, like, they couldn't have read that on the internet back then or sort of communicate with each other easily like we can nowadays. So they're both different cultures, different communities seeing the same thing or seeing right. the same sort of creature. Mm-hmm. That sort of lens that there is definitely something that is being seen, that is living in these forested areas and these mountain mm-hmm. areas. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, there are reports of a hairy, upright walking or bipedal creature in the forests and jungles of Vietnam, which were, which was observed, I believe, uh, repeatedly by various American soldiers. And they were told not to talk about it. There's reports of a bipedal creature in uh, a specific state in Northern India, which is not, not connected to the Himalaya, but is quite well known in that region. So yeah, there's, there's, there's stuff out there and we're still finding it and and still understanding it when i uh, several weeks ago i came across a superman comic at a bookstore uh, and it was a one one from the 1950s and uh, on the cover was a drawing of superman uh on a seesaw with a bigfoot creature and I thought, well, this is interesting. And I looked at the year and it, it was about a year after the Bluff Creek tracks uh, were first, uh, or the Willow Creek tracks were first discovered. But this was, you know, still several years before the Bluff Creek footage. And I thought, how could they have come up with you know, this, you know, being that large? And also with the notion that this was an alien creature come to Earth which as as you both know, is a rather popular uh, discussion in the Bigfoot world as well. And so it's fascinating how these things sort of seep through and emerge in our stories and our legends or in our modern day culture, that this is is something that's, uh, you know, quite feasible. So you mentioned about people's thoughts of like the, the alien culture, a part of your research, the areas that you're seeing these particular creatures, have there been any reports of UFO activity or other paranormal encounters in that mm. sort of general area? I, I've personally had quite a f- not a lot, but certainly several unusual encounters which I could not explain and did not seem to be connected to Bigfoot. If they are connected, and there are of course reports uh, all over of Bigfoot coming down in a spaceship or Bigfoot getting into a spaceship or chatting with the green men from Mars, I, it, I, I, I don't know what to say. There, there is some very strange stuff out there. And I've encountered some of it. And 
I'm not sure I would ever want to encounter that thing again. Um, it, it's one thing to go investigate in the forest at 1 p.m. and return at 3.30 p.m. and get in your truck and drive off. It's another to get in your truck at 3.30 and look at your wristwatch and discover it's 4.45. Is that what happened to you? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? I, this And this happened in the spring of 2015. I don't recall the exact date. No, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. September of 2014. September of 2014. I was in the woods in southern Wisconsin in one of the large uh, uh, state parks here, uh, which vast, vast acreage, uh, very heavily forested, but with lots of riding trails and such. And we had come into the woods at about one o'clock-ish, and we're investigating and several things happened on that investigation which to this still remain inexplicable the the most puzzling thing was at a certain point we were taking a branch trail down between into the swamp and i turned to my colleague and i said i've been here before and he said, no, you haven't. You, we've never come this way. And I said, no, I, I'm not kidding you. I have been here before. I have come down this trail. And I was absolutely dead certain of it. Uh, we continued along and I turned to my colleague again and I said, this isn't real. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, this isn't, this isn't real. We're on a stage set. Nothing is real. And it, it was, it was, I was, I could have, you know, if I'd been in a court of law, I would have put my hand on a Bible and sworn it that this was not a real place. We were, and he asked me, where do you think we are? And I said, I don't know where we are, but we are not in a real place. A few moments later, I was, we were, we'd come up on the bank of a very steep, deep ravine. And I was looking across the ravine and realized that there were three or four dogman creatures standing there looking at us, which was not entirely uh, pleasing, I must say. Uh, we continued our, our trek through the woods and uh, when we got back to the truck, I looked at my wristwatch and said, 3.30. I said, okay, it's 3.30. And my colleague looked at his camera. He had it strapped a video camera to his chest that was running the full length of our trip. And he said, that doesn't make sense. He said, what time did you say it was? And I said, it's 3.30. And he said, no, the camera says 4.45. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would there be an hour and 15 minutes extra? And then I looked at him and I said, what happened? Uh, it gets even weirder. I We drove back to his house. I retrieved my car and drove home. I got home, I want to say, at about 5.30. I immediately took a two-hour nap and had a very strange dream. I dreamt that my colleague and I were in a large white room and that he was lying on a medical gurney uh, with all his clothes removed except for his underpants, and uh, he was being examined by a team of doctors. Uh, he was not conscious, but he was speaking his wife's name and kept calling his wife's name over and over. And I 
I looked at his underpants and they were what we call the boxer briefs. And they were sort of a dark army olive green color. And I looked at his toes and I realized he had very long straight toes. And again, these are weird details you remember. But when I woke up, I called him and I said, look, I, I don't know what's going on, but I got home and I went to sleep for two hours. And he said, that's funny, I did too. And he said, at 5.30? And I said, yes, we both went to sleep at 5.30. We both woke up at 7.30. And I said, I need to ask you a very weird question and please don't find this too upsetting, but were you wearing army green boxer briefs today while we were out in the woods? And he said, yes. And I said, do you have long straight toes? And there was a pause and he said, yes. Why are you asking these questions? And I told him about the dream and uh, it, it both uh, rattled our cages for, for quite some time. Uh, to this day, I don't know how to explain that. There are obviously explanations that one could propose. I, I'm hesitant to propose those only because the answer to that question is more terrifying than the question itself. Yeah, makes total sense. You, yeah, I understand what you're saying there. So apart from that, have you had any other UFO experiences? Oh, yes, mm -hmm. quite a few. Is, that, is it something that's sort of been prevalent throughout your life or is it something that's sort of been more in adulthood? Uh, yeah, I, if it happened when I was younger, I don't remember. Um, oh, actually, no, yes, I do. Forgive me. There was a UFO experience that my family and I shared in South Dakota when I was a small boy. And uh, I remember... We, it was a diamond-shaped UFO of orange light that chased us through the plains. And I remember my father turning off the road and barreling it into a town, a nearby village, because we were so afraid of being of something happening. And there was be, being nothing we could do. What is strange about this story is that when I saw the UFO, I was seated in the back behind my mother when we came into the town, I was seated in the back behind my father. And I don't remember switching seats. So, yes. So, yes, I have had UFO experiences throughout my life. Yes. Have you had any kind of paranormal experience growing up? So any kind of like poltergeist activity or unexplained activity sort of around you and in your house? In when we lived in South Dakota, uh, we had a, lived in what's called a raised ranch. Uh, I think in England it's called an English basement. I don't know if that's the right term, but the basement is right. Well, here we call it an English basement. It's the, the lower level is the cellar is raised about three feet off the floor of above the ground. So there's windows and you can look in and so on and so forth. Okay. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so but so what we would call what you would call the first floor is about three feet off the ground. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, no, that's the second floor. So. Yeah, I got, I got, I got you. All right. So and I remember in my bedroom one night sitting up and watching three Lakota warriors walk through our bedroom at the floor waist up. And I realized they were walking on ground 
and going right through our house because for them the house wasn't there and uh that was that was quite interesting uh we had more paranormal activity when we moved to illinois um here where i live now at the cottage there uh was quite a lot almost from day one moving in here seven years ago uh some type of ghostly or poltergeist activity uh inside the cottage quite often can you elaborate a bit more what sort of things happened or started happening when you moved in i uh, well when i got here uh there there was a lot of uh, bigfoot activity outside they would come up to the house they would uh you know tap on the windows they would walk around when it would snow we'd find footprints I still find footprints from time to time out in the garden. Uh, they, as I mentioned before, they come up to the window and look in. Uh, inside the house, uh, numerous balls of light, orbs, uh, poltergeist activity, uh, loud noises, uh, things would go flying across the room, uh, which is always exciting when that happens. You know, when, when you see a bottle, you know, launch itself across a room and you realize there's no way on earth I'm going to save that in time. It, it, it starts to get pretty interesting. There's been some uh, unusual creatures uh, here inside and out. Um, and uh, there was at one time, I there was a, uh, a, a dwarf a, a, or a gnome. I'm not, I called him Fred the kitchen dwarf and a very small older gentleman heavily built with a tall red pointed hat and he would show up in my kitchen and help himself to food and uh one night i was you know, sitting at my desk as i'm sitting here and i'm working away on my computer and i suddenly realized fred's in the kitchen and i turned and he was helping himself to leftovers from the fridge and i said you know please help yourself whatever you need you're welcome to it and he smiled and nodded and off he went so what or who do you think that is fred i i i, I don't know what else he you know he's he lives in the stump out back there's an old tree stump at, at the back of the garden and he came for a little bit and then he left uh, he came into the house three or four times, uh, helped himself to food, and off he went. So why do you think you seem to have more experiences of paranormal, UFO, Bigfoot, than, say, the, the average person? I, I've asked myself that numerous times, and other people have asked that. And th there's several different answers have been, you know, proposed. And I think the one that makes the most sense to me anyway is that there is something in my makeup uh, physically mentally emotionally what have you that is an attractant for the spirit world or the paranormal or whatever you want to call it and they feel that they can communicate with me or appear to me or whatever it is they do um there have been of course some times where i have felt great fear and have you know called upon God to say, please protect me. You know this, I I don't want this in my house. And uh, God has always protected me. I've never been in physical danger. You know, thank God. Uh, but things do approach me, uh, and it's interesting that it's not just you know 
spiritual creatures or paranormal creatures. It's, you know, animals and such. Uh, for example, out here at the cottage, I have a little shed in the garden. And there's a family of skunks that live underneath it. And uh, in the mornings, I'll sit outside with my coffee and uh, the mama skunk will come by with her kittens and the kittens will come and play with my toes and uh, sort of hold them in their paws and they like to lick them, I think, for the salt. And the, the mother skunk doesn't mind the, in the least bit. And after a bit, you know, after a while, they'll move on and go off and hide under the shed and I'll come back inside. So you know, things like that happen here quite often. So you mentioned that in the answer that it could be in your makeup of you as a person that is what attracts all this stuff. Has anyone in your family had experiences in the past, like when they were younger or other more distant relatives? Well, my, my father was very spiritual and was certainly aware of things, but he was very careful and did not openly engage it. My little brother, who is 14 years younger than I, uh, has had some very terrifying experiences. And I did not realize this uh, while he was growing up, but uh, he, he told me that the reason he did not like coming back to our house uh, where we used to live was because when he was a small boy, he would look at the window at night and there would be a hairy woman looking at him. And it was a very terrifying sight. And I tried to talk to him about it. I said, well, what do you mean by a hairy woman? And he said, well, it was a hairy woman. And I said, well, do you mean, did she have long hair? And he said, well, there was, it was all hair. And I realized he, you know, he may have been describing a Bigfoot, but to a small boy, of course, that that's a very terrifying sight. And uh, there are numerous stories and encounters documented, you know, across the, you know, the, uh, the cowman of Copalis Beach is probably one of the most famous, but it's certainly not dissimilar to that experience. So just sort of looking at some of the, the work that you've done, uh, some of your books and stuff, I noticed that you've got a coloring book, a big yes. coloring yes. book. I found yes. that pretty, pretty, pretty cool. So tell us a bit, bit about that. Well, you know, that just came out of, you know, I, so many anytime i go to a bigfoot convention or show and stuff there's there's swarms of kids and they're wonderfully curious and they want to know everything and they have a million questions and i thought well you know wouldn't it be great to do a coloring book that had all the different names of bigfoot or as many as i could find and so it's an a to z coloring book you know so all of the different uh letters there's a specific name and then there's a discussion of where this name came from, its origins, and then there's various drawings of different, you know, Bigfoot creatures uh, that are out there. And uh, yeah, I really had fun doing that. I really did. That, that was fun. That sounds cool. Um, so where can we find your books and more of your work? And you mentioned the blog early on, where can our listeners find that blog? Uh, the blog address is beyondtheforestblog.wordpress.com. And all my published reports are there. There's there's well over 500 now, if, if not 700, uh, quite, a, quite a few. All of the reports from uh, where I live uh, called the daily reports from the cottage. And those go back to 2014. There are my field reports, which are my active investigations. And those go back to 2007. And there's also my encounter reports. And how I classify an encounter report is 
say, for example, I'm out having a picnic with friends and something happens. It's not an active investigation, but I've documented it regardless and said, you know, here's what happened, here's what I saw, here's what I experienced, and there you have it. Most of my UFO encounters are in the encounter reports. So obviously, it's getting to the end of 2021, 2022 is literally two weeks away. What's next? What have you got planned for the next year and beyond? Uh, next year, I, I'm hoping to do more field work. I did not get a chance to do very much uh, this year or last year, as most of us didn't. But I do hope to be able to do more of that coming up and uh, get more of my reports published in uh, book format so that those, those are able to be shared and appreciated. And, it's, it's, and it's, I must say, it's kind of nice to have them on the shelf, you know, so I, can, I don't have to log on to a computer every time I want to read something. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you, Sanjay, for chatting to us. It's been fascinating hearing your counters and your work that you've done with Bigfoot. Oh, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you both. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Maybe next year when you've done a bit more or been able to get out a bit more, we'll uh, we'll catch up again and see what, what's been happening. Oh, I'd love to do that. That would that would be fun. Thank you. Yes. That'd be brilliant. Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. Have have a good evening. Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash and Greg.